0: Or look on the screen behind me, Genesis chapter 15. As you're turning there, two quick things. One is, in your announcements, you have a little invitation for a course that we announced maybe, I don't know, a month ago. It's entitled Life Explored. I've been getting around to each home group to talk at, uh, at length about this. I'm very excited about this context we're creating as one additional tool in your toolbox For reaching out for reaching out to those in your neighborhood your workplace your campus your classroom the context you can invite someone to who they presently don't know the lord but they can be introduced to the bible's worldview the big picture of the bible in which the good news of jesus christ makes sense and will be communicated so it's seven weeks for someone to attend ask anything say anything and learn about the living God and what He's done for us in His Son. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but I want you to know about this invitation. Secondly, if you haven't met Pastor Yoshi, where is Yoshi? Is Yoshi here? There's Yoshi. Yoshi, could you stand for a second? Yoshi, welcome to you. So good to have you here. Okay, quick story. Yumiko, where is Yumiko? Is she here? Children's minister, Yumiko. Yumiko shared the gospel in a Bible study 20 years ago. Yoshi came to faith in Christ through Yumiko and that Bible study. He's been pastoring in Australia. He's moving to San Diego to help hopefully start a Japanese speaking congregation. We thank God for you and it's so good good to have you here. So welcome, Yoshi. All right, with that, let me pray, and then Tiff's going to read our passage. Father, thank you so much for how you've been meeting us already. My heart is full with anticipation for how you want to continue to meet us now in and through your word. So do so, we ask. You have your full way, we pray, Spirit of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Join me in being encouraged by God's word in Genesis 15:1 through 6. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Thank you, Tiff. It was A.W. Tozer who wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about it. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you like that quote? I I, I like that quote. I I have used that quote in a sermon in the past. I have built an entire session of a men's retreat around that quote. I, I think it's got a lot going for it. I believe and was convinced of the truthfulness of that quote until a friend of mine told me what C.S. Lewis had written 37 years earlier. Lewis wrote the following. I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God, like Tozer said. By God himself, it is not. (laughs) How God thinks of us, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Now, certainly, how you think of God is very, very important, without a doubt. But I think Lewis is right. How God thinks of you is more important than how you think of Him. So let me ask you, friends, how does God think of you? He does think of you. He knows you better than perhaps you know yourself. So how does God think of you? Do you know? You need to. It's not an exaggeration to say our eternal destiny depends on the answer to that question. And our joy and security in this moment and tomorrow and the next week in the next month and the next year all depend on knowing the right answer to that question. How does God think of you? How is he thinking of you right now? For the believer in Jesus Christ, Genesis chapter 15 provides a glorious, wonderful answer to the question of how God thinks of you in Christ. So I want to do this as we continue our series in Genesis. I want to survey this story and then consider how it relates to our lives. So That's kind of an outline. Let's look at this story, and then we're going to make make a beeline for our lives and how God thinks of those in Christ. Verse 1, Genesis 15, we heard the following. Verse 1, after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram, later Abraham, in a vision. Fear not. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So recall in chapter 14, Abram's just won a military victory, and now God reveals himself with a military metaphor. God, he says, is his shield, his His protector. So he says, Abram, fear not. Don't be afraid. I am your shield. And isn't that a wonderful reminder to us? God is your shield if you're in Christ, your, your protector. Nothing gets past your shield. Nothing touches you that he does not allow. Not only that, God says, Abram, your reward will be very great, which seems to be a reference to the promises God had made to Abram back in chapter 12. Promise of a land, this land of Canaan promise of descendants, an uncountable multitude, and a promise that through his family would come blessing to all families, all nations of the earth. But in the passage we read, Abram finds himself still waiting on the fulfillment of those promises, doesn't he? Abram is still in the waiting room of life. He says, I don't have any children yet, God. God. It seems like your promises are not coming to pass. How long do I wait? And maybe you're here this evening wondering the same. Maybe you could relate to that song we just sang about waiting, waiting, waiting for God. It's hard to wait. That's where Abram is. He's waiting and it's hard. So he says, God, I don't see your answer yet. And God in response is so gracious. He says, Abram, you will have a biological son as your heir. And then to give him a visual aid. To give him a visual aid of the certainty of his promise. Look at verse 5. And he, God, brought him, Abram, outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so Abram, so shall your offspring be. I love that. It's God's compassionate care when our faith is weak. I need that. God's compassionate care. He says to Abram, come on outside, buddy. Come on outside. Now, I want you to look up in the night sky. And let me ask you a question. Can you number those stars? Now, in suburban San Diego, you probably could at night. You try to see 10, 12, okay, I'm gonna have 12 kids, thanks. (laughs) I remember being in sort of good ways up in Wisconsin when we lived in Illinois. We were camping in Wisconsin, out on a peninsula in Lake Michigan. And one night, as camping is, I could not sleep. And so I journeyed outside the tent while my family was asleep, went down a little pathway to the lake shore, the shore of Lake Michigan, I laid down on a picnic bench and looked up at the night sky and was stunned to see the Milky Way in its beauty and brilliance right across the sky. That's what Abram's experience was like. Not like suburban San Diego. It was like looking up and seeing the Milky Way across the sky in all its glory going, I can't count them, God. And God says that's the point. I want you to be assured of my promise of this uncountable multitude. I want you to be sure of my promises to you. And in response to this visual aid, we find in verse 6 this crucial verse. Verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Now, think back to that C.S. Lewis quote. How God thinks of you is very important, right? More important than even how you think of him. Here we're told how God thought of Abram. God was thinking of Abram here as righteous. God was thinking of this man as having a perfectly right standing before him. He counted it, counted him, it says, as righteous. Now, we know Abram did not achieve that righteousness. He received it. We saw him in Egypt. Things did not go well in Egypt. He lied about his wife. He put her in jeopardy. He put God's promises in jeopardy. Now, nevertheless, now God says, I am thinking of you, or we're told at least, God thinking of him as in right standing before him. And if God thinks of your standing as righteous before him, then friends, that's how it is. He is credited with, or it is credited to him as righteousness by the means of believing. That's the story. How does it relate to us? Well, very directly. (laughs) You can draw a a straight line, as I'm about to do, a straight line from Genesis 15 to our lives. For instance... You see that line in Romans chapter 4. We don't need to turn there, but Romans chapter 4 draws the line for us. But the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in the city of Rome, and he quotes Genesis 15. He draws a straight line to our lives to show that we too are counted righteous or justified in the same way Abram was. Romans chapter 4, verse 2, we read, For if Abraham was justified, declared righteous, By works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Now that's always the key question in life, or a key question at least. What does the Scripture say? Key question for all theological discussion and all personal belief. What does Scripture say? He quotes Genesis 15. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Genesis 15 6, now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due, it's his wage and to the one who does not work but believes, believes in him who justifies the ungodly his faith is counted as righteousness now I just kind of want to park there and take this in The apostle uses this term justify or justification as we sometimes talk about it. It means being declared righteous. It's from the legal realm, being counted righteous before God. And this thing called justification really has a negative side and has a positive side. This is so important. I want to I want to park here. Okay. it's got a negative side of. Something taken away from you. Here we're told that God justifies the ungodly. Their guilt is taken away. Their guilt is removed. Their sins are covered. They are forgiven. The negative side is, if you will, a pardon. How can that be, Tab? How can we be pardoned like that? Well, in Romans 3, the apostle has told us that God the Father put forward His Son as a propitiation for our sins, a a wrath-bearing sacrifice for our sins, that God could be just and the justifier. Catch that. That God could be just, for He is just. God cannot wink at sin. He cannot just overlook sin. God had to be just toward all sin. Yet, because His Son was the wrath-bearing sacrifice for all who believe, God could then be just toward my sin and yours and be the justifier declaring the righteous. There is this negative sense of pardon, which is guaranteed for us by the resurrection, as the end of Romans 4 tells us. The empty tomb is the Father's paid in full, stamped on our sins. That's the negative side. Justification's positive side is what is counted to you or credited to you or imputed to you and that could be summed up in a word perfection God thinks of the perfect righteousness of his son as belonging to you you are you are credited with Jesus's lifelong record of obedience every command of God every every demand of God's Holy law was fulfilled by him. That is thought of as belonging to you, as we see alluded to in Genesis 15, 6. But think about about the summary of God's law, the Ten Commandments. Think about just a few of those. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall love nothing more than God. Never take his name in vain. Never dishonor him. Honor your parents and, by extension, honor all legitimate authority. Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, commands which apply to our hearts and anger and coveting and lust. All of these we have broken, have we not? And Jesus fulfilled them all perfectly, all day, every day. That's the perfection of justification that now gets thought of as belonging to you. That's what Genesis 15, 6 is pointing toward the Apostle Paul is telling us. The righteousness of Christ credited to you, imputed to you once and for all. It's kind of like this. Last week, there showed up in my checking account was sung a credit from our friends at the IRS. Our good buddies at the IRS. Yes, I was so pleased to hear from them. We were owed a, a little bit of money, and I looked online one day and boom, there it was. Credited to our account. The IRS thought of that money as belonging to us that day, and the bank agreed, and I'm so glad. Which is boom, there it is. It's amazing. Electronic banking. Imagine, imagine that was a ten thousand dollar credit. It wasn't. But imagine it was. I mean, would you like that credited to your account? I would I would not turn it it. Imagine the IRS said, you know what? You, San Diegans, you deserve a lot more, paying the sunshine tax and all. We're gonna credit to your account $100,000 this year. I mean, would you like that? I would like that. What if they said, your social security number has been chosen at random and we are crediting to your checking account $1 million. Would you like that? It's not a song. It's not a scam. It's real. If you just believe these promises, the promise of the IRS, if you believe the promise of the IRS, bam, $1 million into your checking account. Would you like that? Now listen, if you are a Christian, what has happened to you, what has been credited to you, makes that look like a few nickels and dimes. God took all of your guilt, all of your liability to punishment, and he credited that All in its entirety to His Son. That's the pardon. All of your failures, past, present, and future, credited to Jesus. And then God took the lifelong record of obedience, the perfect righteousness of His beloved Son, and credited that to you. That's the perfection. That's how God thinks of you right now in Christ. How God thinks of you is more important even how you think of Him if you're in Christ, he is thinking of you as having perfect, right, legal standing before him now and forever. All through the means of faith. Just like Abram in Genesis 15. That's the apostle's point in Romans 4. Not by works, not some wage you're due, a gift. It's kind of like an open-handed receiving that's justifying faith an open-handed reception of a gift if i said i had got all these money illustrations if i said i had a an expensive gold coin i wanted to give you right now and i was holding it out to you and you just opened your hand and i laid that coin in your hand and i said it's a gift to you laid it right there would you say i have earned that coin by, by opening my hand, I received, I was meritorious. My faith right there was meritorious. I believed your promise. No, you'd say, I just received a gift. That's what this is like. An open-handed receiving of the most precious gift imaginable. God thinking of you with perfect right standing before him. Now and forever. It is pardon and perfection by faith alone in Christ alone. Now, Genesis fifteen is fifteen six is quoted four times in the New Testament. One of them is in the book of James. And James says there that we are not justified by faith alone. And it might seem like a contradiction, but it's not. Just in case you're wondering, James says that Genesis 15 was fulfilled when Abraham offered up his son Isaac on the altar in Genesis 22. He says Genesis 15 faith was fulfilled in Genesis 22 actions. That's his point. Abraham's faith was seen later on in his actions. The Apostle Paul and James are just addressing different errors. They're not in conflict. James is addressing the error that says, if you have faith, it don't matter how you live. (laughs) James is saying, no, genuine faith, justifying faith, will be seen in its actions. And the Apostle Paul would agree. In Romans, Paul is addressing the error that says we are justified somehow by our work. You better earn it. And Paul says, no, the instrument of justification, the means of justification, is faith alone, in Christ alone, and open-handed receiving of a gift. As Martin Luther put it, we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. So, why does all that matter? It matters, it matters for this reason, many reasons we could give, but here's, here's one. The pastor was counseling a young lady. He describes the counseling encounter like this. she wore an oversized turtleneck with sleeves that went down almost completely over her hands. After a time of gentle questions and listening, the conversation turned to cutting. She said that when she was upset with herself or upset with other people, She cut herself. The cutting seemed to relieve the tension. She pulled up her sleeve at that point and showed me her arm. I don't think I will ever forget the sight. That image stayed in my mind for days and was painful every time I recalled it. The scars, the cuts. What could I do? All I really knew about biblical counseling was to pray for people and tell them about the gospel. And then he says this. Very small errors in a person's understanding of the gospel seem to result in very big problems in that person's life. Did you catch that? Very small errors in a person's understanding of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, seem to result in very big problems in our lives. Friends, seemingly small problems, seemingly small errors rather, as relates to justification in particular, result in very big problems in our lives that's one reason why this matters so let me think of you with you of of some errors if you will that result in big problems related to our past our present and our future let's go past present and future here's justification first and our our past maybe you are here tonight, and though you are a Christian, you are you are in some way haunted by your past. You're not alone. Many of us relive some event from our past, some sin from our past. We relive that over and over. Your life is is like the movie Groundhog Day, where Bill Murray is a TV weatherman who is endlessly reliving one day of his life. Whatever crazy things he does, he wakes up the next morning and he relives that day again. He cannot seem to escape this one day of his life. And maybe that's your experience. You keep reliving something though you are a Christian. The seemingly small error for you is probably that you are thinking you must still somehow pay for that sin. That you still somehow must atone for that sin. Or maybe that you must somehow forgive yourself of that sin. See, to say that you must forgive yourself is to say that you are your own judge and must be your own savior. Now, I understand what people often mean by that. They often mean, I need to believe that God has forgiven me and I'm not trying to be the language police and please don't do not do so otherwise yourself. But friend, you don't need to forgive yourself. You need to understand justification. You don't need to forgive yourself. You need to live in the good of justification. When you think of your past, yes, there may be regret. I have regrets for my past. When you think of your past, there may be consequences that still result today. That sometimes is the case. But you must also think, what does the Scripture say about my past? And the Scripture says, if you are in Christ, God is thinking of your past as pardoned by the sacrifice of His Son. That justice has been satisfied and God has justified you. That the empty tomb has said, paid in full, and now God thinks of your past as covered by the obedience of His Son. So friend, let His righteousness counted to you free you from that ongoing Groundhog Day experience what about the present? What about justification in the present? In our ongoing lives, in our ongoing daily lives, a seemingly small error that results in big problems is when we fail to distinguish between justification, being declared righteous like Abram, and sanctification, sanctification, as I'm using the term here, is an ongoing, lifelong process of being more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. So sanctification is an ongoing process of change, an ongoing process of growth. Now listen, justification is not a process. Sanctification is. Justification is an instantaneous legal declaration by God. It's like the IRS Crediting my refund to my checking account. Bam! There it is. It happens in a moment. There was no process there. It just showed up. That's how justification is. It's not a process. Bam! It happens in a moment. You are justified. God thinks of you as having perfect right standing before Him. Once and for all in His Son. So, justification, track with me, and sanctification go together, right? Those whom God justifies, he also sanctifies. They go together, but they are distinct. And you must keep them distinct theologically for you as you live every day because the error we make is to confuse the two. All of us seek to do what Sinclair Ferguson said, and that's to smuggle character into God's work of grace. We all try to smuggle character somewhere into God's work of grace. We're character smugglers. We want to smuggle a little sanctification into our justification. We want to build our spiritual resume before God. You know, Look, God, I put money in the offering box. <laughs> I wasn't as angry with my kids this week. I was more patient with my spouse. I didn't waste as much time at work or at school. I I spent less time on my phone. Fine things. But then we think, as character smugglers, my standing before God is enhanced because of those things. I perhaps am more righteous now in his eyes. In fact, God loves me more. In fact, I might go back to the offering box, which would be fine to do. Go back to the offering again to earn more of His love. See what we're doing here? Smuggling character into His work of grace. We're building our resume before God. Or, flip side, we think we have somehow diminished our standing before God by failing to uphold our resume before Him when I fail to, to pray. I fail to pray that day and my standing before God seems diminished. I was discouraged one day last week in my about similar things. I was just saying to my wife, we're on a date. And I just felt like that week kind of spiritually apathetic. And I was sharing that with her and she was so kind to remind me of the gospel we start to think, I've diminished our standing before God. I've sinned in this area again. I can't draw near to God. Maybe later on, I'll do some penance. Later on, he'll accept me. I can't draw near. Not after what I did. In those times, friends, we are confusing our justification with our sanctification. And Jesus told a parable for character smugglers like ourselves. In Luke chapter 18, he told about a Pharisee, a religious separatist, who went to the temple and prayed an interesting prayer. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Now stop there. (laughs) (laughs) If you pray that, you're already in trouble, okay? (laughs) God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here, the scumbag. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. My spiritual resume is looking good. But the spiritually unclean tax collector prayed what? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus said something that would have rocked people's worlds if they had neglected Genesis 15:6. He said, "This man, the tax collector, went home to his house justified." Rather than the other. Did you catch that? One person went home justified, only one. One was counted righteous before God like Abram in Genesis 15. And it was not the guy with the impressive religious resume. It was the one who looked away from himself to the all-sufficiency of another. And that's how you must live every day in the present. Looking away from yourself and saying, what does Scripture say about my present life? What does Scripture say about my presence standing before God? It says that by faith alone, in Christ alone, I stand in Jesus' perfection. I have been declared righteous. I have been counted righteous in God's sight with the perfect righteousness of His Son, that is how God is thinking of me today. That's past, that's present. What about future? Justification, our future. A small error resulting in big problems related to our future tends to be that we think our future with God might be insecure. It might be on thin ice. I don't know about you, but it's easy to have various fears about the future. What's going to happen with my kids? What's going to happen with my health? Will we have finances in the retirement years, right? On and on and on. We all have understandable concerns. But just track with me, justification says, your greatest need for the future has already been secured your greatest problem, your greatest concern in life as it relates to the future is entirely secure in Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says, Since we have now been justified, declared righteous by His blood, by Jesus' sacrifice, much more, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath to come. Did you catch that? For those who are justified in Christ, your future is secure. You will not face the wrath to come. That means your greatest need for the future is entirely secure in the most important way possible. I'm not denying the other challenges you're facing. I'm not denying the other questions about your future. I'm just saying, let this certainty loom largest for your future. The most important need is secure. God's final verdict over your life has been brought into the present and declared over you righteous with the righteousness of my Son. The verdict of the last day has been brought into the present. That means your future is entirely secure. It's kind of like this in a Peanuts comic strip. Lucy and Linus are staring out the window at a very hard rain. And Lucy says, boy, look at that rain. What if it floods the whole world? And Linus, probably tracking with us in the book of Genesis, he says, it will never do that. In Genesis, God promised Noah that it would never happen again. And the sign of that promise is the rainbow. Well, Lucy looks at Linus approvingly, and then turns again to look out the window and says, you have taken a great load off of my mind. And Linus says, sound theology has a way of doing that. I don't know what's on your mind for your future. I don't know what's weighing you down. Friends, the sound theology of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, means to do just that. Take a load off of your mind. Your future in Christ is absolutely secure. Can you see why I think Lewis was right? How God thinks of you is indeed the most important thing about you. That was true of Abram's life in Genesis 15. It's true of your life right now. So how is God thinking of you? If you are not in Christ, I need to be honest with you in this moment. He thinks of you as being under his judgment presently. You have yet to be delivered from the wrath to come, but God in his love for you, God in his love is holding out, Pardon and perfection. Pardon for your sins. Pardon for your guilt and the perfection of his son. And he's calling you to turn to him and believe, to believe these promises in Jesus Christ and be saved. God wants to justify you as well. I urge you, friend, to come trusting in Jesus' life and death and resurrection that he might pardon your sin and welcome you as his child. If you are in Christ, I hope you've heard the main point here. God is thinking of you as righteous in his sight. God is thinking of you as having a perfectly right standing before and because he has counted you righteous with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We want to celebrate that truth by taking the Lord's Supper together. So with the music team please come, and those who are going to serve us, please be prepared to do so. And so appropriate that we do, because it's interesting, God strengthens Abram's faith in this passage, giving him a visual aid. You recall that? Abram, come outside. Look up at the stars. The Milky Way across the sky. Can you count the stars, Abram? He gives him this visual aid to strengthen his faith. And the Lord's Supper is a visual aid to strengthen our faith. It's mean to meant to strengthen your faith in his promises right now. His promises of pardon and perfection by faith alone. In Christ alone. So, friends, allow the bread and the cup to strengthen your faith and encourage your soul. Because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. He said, Do this in remembrance of me. Later, he took the cup and said, This cup is God's covenant sealed in my blood, my sacrifice. Drink from it, he said, in remembrance of me. So as the servers come, and the the band's going to begin to play, when you're ready, we invite all who have trusted Christ to come down the side aisles and take from the bread the choice of wine or juice. Take from the elements. Receive them as a visual aid for your faith. Yes, a time to commune with Christ and a visual aid to have your faith in his promises strengthened right now. For those who have yet to trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we ask you to take Christ instead, to come to him believing and receive his grace for you as well. The band is going to play. When you're ready, please come to receive the elements. Yeah.
1: Savior's love The crimson stain, he washed it white. To say my live shall still repeat Jesus paid it. And pray, find in me thine all in all.
0: Just take this in for a moment, please. How God thinks of you is the most important thing about you. And if you are in Christ, He is thinking of you right now as righteous in his sight, that you have a perfectly right standing before him that can never, ever be improved upon or diminished in the least. Oh, Lord, how can we thank you? All we can say is praise the one who paid my debt, atoned for my sin, obeyed in my place, such that I have now been counted righteous by faith alone in Christ alone. Would you allow, Holy Spirit, would you allow this truth to permeate our hearts and fill us with joy and wonder at this good news? We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I forgot my Bible. Friends, if you have any reason at all that you would like someone to pray for you, and I hope you heard John's exhortation, prayer is so precious, it's a precious gift. Leave people down front here as we close. I'll be here, others down front. It might be something from your past, your present, a fear about the future, or look, any burden on your heart. We'd love to pray with you that God might meet you. Before we do that, please hear a prayer of blessing, an inspired prayer of blessing from God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Receive this from the Lord. The grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ And the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, friends. God bless you. Amen.